0: S-A-M-I-R-Y-E. Sammy Rye here with another one of those podcasts with Sammy Rye. I hope you guys are having a great week. We're gonna talk about 2023 being the year of fighting games. That's right, I've not been excited about fighting games in a very long time. I I mean maybe four or five years, I feel like. And really the whole genre as a whole, I think has been really, you know, hard for it to move into the future. But there's a lot of exciting changes in that genre with Street Fighter 6, Tekken 8, and Mortal Kombat 12, which you're basically calling Mortal Kombat 1. We're going to get into all that. Also I want to talk about TV show reboots, namely Beavis and Butthead. I didn't think about 2023 that I'd be talking about Beavis and Butthead, but it's got confirmed for a season two. I started watching season one and I'm surprised at the results. Um, and then after that, if you want to, there's a little after show you can hang out with. If you want to see what Sammy Rice has got going on for the summer and what I'm getting into, let's hop into the podcast. So it looks like fighting games are going to be a thing. Um, I don't know, you know, for a younger generation, I, I wonder what it's like. My son, he's about, he's going to turn 17 He's going to be a senior in high school. I feel like those are the formidable years, right? You're trying to become a man. So, I mean, you know, I had to look at generations. I would look at his generation, um, you know, being, I guess, what do you call it? Like 15, 16, 17 years old. I don't know. 20-year difference. I think it was a 20-year difference, I think. Yeah. um, Yeah, about 21 years. So, yeah, like, like looking at his generation, they came out on Fortnite. That was a big thing for their generation. I feel like, you know, some of the things for my generation, like Halo, wasn't a big deal. They still like Grand Theft Auto. That's a big deal. But when it comes to fighting games, I don't feel like the generations had, had really a chance in that 20-year period. Besides maybe Mortal Kombat, which technically, supposedly, wasn't really for their age, right? Even though I know kids play Mortal Kombat. Um, Injustice has been pretty good. Um, but even that, I don't know. I feel like when we were kids and Street Fighter 2 came out, it was such a big deal. Mortal Kombat 1 was such a big deal. Um, It might have been because, you know, we were kind of the first generation growing up with video games. So it might not be really fair because we're like coming along with the generation that 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 genre is being, you know, defined for our generation. I feel like that those games as a whole haven't really moved into a new a new era yet. And it's really cool, I think, for me look at my kids and see, okay now you guys are going to have some opportunities here, especially with Street Fighter 6 and Mortal Kombat 1. I can't speak too much of Tekken 8. I think Tekken 8 is going to be great to see it on the next-gen system. I'm sure it's going to be a really good game. I, so far, haven't seen anything about Tekken 8 that tells me that this is a whole new launch, you know, a whole new jump off for Tekken. If you never played Tekken before, come in at Tekken 8. I haven't seen that being the case. But it looks like Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter, that's what they're doing. Um, So maybe Tekken's, you know, marching to the beat of its own drum. It has a very hardcore, dedicated arcade scene. But we'll have to kind of see what's going on with there. I'm getting all of them. Um, this is the first year I probably would be really that excited to buy brand new games. I don't usually buy brand new games, but they all look great. And I'm a big Tekken 8 fan. I'm a Tekken fan, so it doesn't matter to me if they rebooted or not. But Mortal Kombat 1 and Street Fighter six, I think in big ways, are reintroducing themselves to people. Um, let's start on Street Fighter VI, which I recently got to play the demo. If you have an Xbox or a PlayStation, you can go download the demo right now and give it a try. Um, you know, growing up, Street Fighter was one of the first games to come through that I think introduced the at-home, you know, control system. How are you gonna play this game? What buttons do what? You have punch, you have kick, that makes sense. We want to do a special move, and there's only a limited amount of buttons at the time, I think on the Sega Genesis, there was three buttons, I think. Um, you know, you have to come up with a way to make this work. I think the arcade typically had six buttons. Um, but you know, to do a lot of special moves. It usually would be like, you know, you hold back on the you know the directional pad, you whip the controller forward, you know, down, you hit back, down, forward, or whatever, and put an input in. Um, like, you press A or something. And if you don't do it right, with the exact, you know, timing, the move won't come out. And I remember even as a kid, that was so frustrating. One of my favorite characters in Street Fighter was a character named Vega. And Vega, I thought, had the most complicated moves possible. Um, I almost used to remember feeling like, you know, the, the Hadouken wasn't that hard. Down, forward, A, that's not that hard. So why can't Vega's moves be down, forward, A? That's, that's simple. But it seemed like the game designers thought everyone needed to have different inputs. So I remember Vega having some input that was like, you hold back, you hit forward, you go diagonal, down, but not actually down. And then you come like down, diagonal, forward, and like hold it for four seconds, let it go, press A, and then he like climbs on like the wall or something like that extremely frustrating, especially for me as a kid. No one else in the room, no one who knew how to do it. Me just practicing and hoping I was going to figure it out. And obviously, I think there's a, a degree of discovery there that kids did like. But personally, overall, I thought it was very complicated and, and honestly, just not good controls, right? If you're sitting and playing a shooting game, the shooting games work great because the controls have triggers, right? So it kind of feels like you're shooting a gun. Um, but, you know, if you play a fighting game, like a, a boxing game or a UFC game, Makes it, made sense. You know, right hand is the right fist and the left button is the left fist. And, you know, you press those back and forth, you punch the guy in the face. It just makes sense. Um, Tekken, which was my favorite fighting game as a child, I thought did that very same thing. It came out and it had its own button style to it that, you know, made sense. It, it controlled your left hand, right hand, left foot, right foot. Um, and then, yeah, you make combos off of that. Their combos could also get a bit complicated over, you know, a long string of, of moves but it wasn't, it wasn't really unachievable. That was more about just developing your tempo. Still, the fact remains that these buttons were not the most intuitive. It wasn't the most you know, well thought out. They are made for different reasons. So fast forward to 2023. We have controllers now that have, I don't know, we got two analog sticks, a directional pad. We got a button in the middle usually. We got the four face buttons, four shoulder buttons, which oftentimes in fighting games aren't even used. Um, yeah, so you have all these different options. And they still reference the arcade stick. Like, oh, like, you know, everyone's going to the arcade to play this game. In North America, it's hard to find an arcade. If you find an arcade, it's hard to find a crowd of people at a fighting game cabinet playing a bunch of fighting games. And even if you did, you got to pour a lot of money into these things. Arcades are expensive. I've gone to some pretty nice arcades um, that are around here. And these games can be a dollar, $2. Every single time you want to play, if you die, you got to play it again. Um, I used to think in our economy, with all the things out there, or free-to-play games, cell phone games, you get so much value for your money nowadays when it comes to entertainment. Why go to an arcade? You know, you got to pay sometimes to get into the arcade. Um, it's, it's ridiculous. It's just so much money to go and have that experience, unfortunately, that, you know, being at home, playing a game online, you know, kind of killed that. Having those options made us didn't have to go to an arcade to even do those things. So why are we still referencing the arcade fighting stick, right? If you go to an arcade now, I wouldn't be surprised if you walked in and there was a P- PlayStation controller hooked up to the cabinet. I don't care. Um, people, I know some people have a preference and they enjoy the button layouts. Again, I've been forced to play lots of button layouts on lots of different consoles. You get over it, right? This idea, you know, which is not even an idea that my son's generation is going to even have. This whole like, oh no, the arcade stick is the best. I'm sure I'm, I've seen plenty of tournaments where these guys are winning tournaments And they're using controllers. I don't always see someone showing up with an arcade stick anymore. It's just—it's just an excuse, you know. Your fingers can press the buttons. It's not that big of a deal. Um, Street Fighter VI has a new input system, which I've been waiting for a really long time. I know they've tried in Street Fighter, um, you know, Cross Tekken. That was a game where they tried to update the button system um, and have something new. I didn't feel like it made it that much easier. I feel like still they were afraid. To not make you do the old complicated button inputs. I think the argument became that if you made it too simple. It would somehow be cheating now. Like it's one thing to know like a strategy in a fighting game like Street Fighter. But also you have to know how to put the buttons in. And if you don't put the buttons in like you're not good. And I think for their player base they're afraid to alienate that. But in 6 now they have two completely different options. Technically three but really two main ones. The classic version. Everybody wants to play that way. And the modern version. I definitely can see a, a, a vocal minority being upset. that Some people have options for the the you know the modern version, but I definitely think the modern versions are bringing a lot of people. I know Smash Brothers is another fighting game out there that has a relatively you know simple control system, but the mechanics and how you figure out how to fight is still in depth. So I think that's a game that you know Nintendo makes. They make it for younger people typically, even though old people do play Smash Brothers, and it's it's easy to get into. You can pick it up and you can play it. You can kind of understand all the characters. And to get really good, you will have to spend more time to understand the nuances to the characters and how they work. But with the new Street Fighter button system they have, basically, it's, it's pretty amazing. You can just press triangle, and then that's it. Does a special move. Or press triangle forward, that's a special move. Or triangle down, that's a special move. Um, and that lets you, you know, free up your mind to just focus on your strategies. Why are you going to do those moves? That's all you have to really focus on. How hey, you would in kind of a real fight. There's even another feature that I thought was pretty cool. If you hold right trigger and press X, if you hit the person, it'll automatically do like a three-hit combo. Um, And you press it, you do the same thing with circle, it'll do like a three-hit combo. So that's something I can explain to my seven-year-old daughter. And she can sit down with me and have an idea of how her characters work and instantly start playing, right? Um, And that is super, super fun. It's such a cool idea. I pre-ordered Street Fighter right away. um, And I haven't bought a Street Fighter game Possibly ever. I've always played other people's games. I I do I have Marvel vs. Capcom. Um again the game was pretty difficult to, you know, get really good at. And nothing's more frustrating than knowing your opponent, knowing the move you want to do, and having a strategy and then going to execute it and your button slips, or you press the wrong button, or you don't press all five buttons in a row that needs you to press for the, the move to come out and doesn't work. So it looks like Street Fighter Six has put their foot down and they're saying, Hey, we're gonna be the new the new fighting game of the future. And I firmly believe that with that, some of the other modes and their, their beautiful artwork, um, they have a whole like system where you can create a character, you can walk around the big open world The Street Fighter. I think Street Fighter has a great story. I think it has a lot of, of like um lore there that people don't talk about. So people say the Street Fighter games don't have like great stories in comparison to, I don't know, maybe another single player game like you know, Horizon Zero Dawn or something like that that comes to mind, or Assassin's Creed. Those games are heavily, heavily driven with narrative. I feel like what fighting games have always done is they've had like um, that kind of storytelling that you dis- you discover the story. It used to be you might read a bit of the story in the book. When I mean, you beat the game, you see the ending of the character. If you hear um, a message from the developer or you see a cartoon or a comic book, and you find the story you know kind of scattered about, and I thought that was fun as a kid, discovering the story, discovering the world of Street Fighter, um, and then seeing different ways to go with it, because obviously sometimes they kind of you know re, re uh, reset those things and change it around. And I think the characters are so cool. They're so iconic. So definitely interested in Street Fighter Six, Mortal Kombat 1, which is what they're calling it, um, is, if you don't know, it's definitely worth it. If you have like a PlayStation, um, I think, subscription, you can play the Mortal Kombat 11, even Mortal Kombat 10, Mortal Kombat 9. All those Mortal Kombat games are great. If you've never played them, They're they're, they're great to get into. I think Mortal Kombat um, 11 is probably the best place to start. Um, It's a little difficult when it comes to a fighting game. It's not very difficult, but it's a little bit of a barrier there. I know the Injustice games are slightly simpler. um, But I think Mortal Kombat 11 is still an amazing game. And 9, 10, and 11 have all had these really cool in-depth long story modes with a lot of CGI. You actually can just go on YouTube, put in Mortal Kombat 9 Story. And people have gone and cut together the entire story. It's like a two-hour movie. Um, and that's it's one of my favorite things about Mortal Kombat. It's the first thing I'm going to do when I play the new Mortal Kombat. Because I definitely like the story. And I think NetherRealm Studios, the makers of Mortal Kombat, have gotten really good at storytelling within their fighting game. I don't know if Street Fighter and Tekken will have those kind of things. But um, I think that you know, Mortal Kombat is the king of storytelling at this point. And I really wish they would allow them to do other things outside of Mortal Kombat... Um, even like you know, movies and things like that, I think they're really great at telling stories. The Injustice stories also are really good. Um, Justice One and Two, I mean, right there, if you've never seen them, you got five movies you can go watch right now on YouTube. You can watch Mortal Kombat 9, 10, 11, and Justice One and Two have story modes that are range around two hours long. Um, and they're really good, even for YouTube videos, they're really good. I never watch a two hour YouTube video, but I've seen all of those. Even though I've played the games, I've gone back and watched them because they're entertaining, they're, and the stories are very entertaining. So if you wanted to catch up on it, you could catch up on it just like that. But then Mortal Kombat you know, 1 is what they're calling it. It's kind of a soft reboot, but technically you know, it, it links into Mortal Kombat 11. And I don't want to give too, too much spoilers, but basically they have a whole way that you're going about it. But this is really cool as a Mortal Kombat fan because you have two things going on at the same time. One, you have a jump off, and most likely this story will be the new story, the new story that lets you know people who are, you know are younger come in and you know meet these new characters for the first time. It also gives the makers a chance to retell those stories. There's with almost 11, 12 games. There's a lot of history of Mortal Kombat, a lot of characters, a lot of weird decisions, a lot of people people expect to show up. You know, as a Mortal Kombat fan, it's fun but also kind of annoying. Where, you know, people in the community were always asking for really obscure characters. People that are just kind of stupid ideas and stuff like that. And they become this thing where they become, like, characters everyone is, thinks needs to be there. In 2023, with storytelling the way it is now in cinema and just really in media altogether, it'd be really interesting to see how they retool all their characters. Um, you know, given a second chance, what way would they go with the story? And I think that's a really, really fun opportunity. But technically, it is still linked into the past canon. So you could have a situation where a portal opens or yada yada, and some older character comes back, maybe even as their version of their older self. They could have DLC, where they have classic versions of characters that are, you know, the way they used to be for those hardcore fans. Um, they could do anything. It really frees them up, you know, I feel like the only other company that has done this is the MCU, Marvel, with their whole, you know, explaining the multiverse. They set themselves up the way they can always have different actors take over characters and even have, you know, older actors come back, either with CGI or with some makeup and bring back dead characters. They can do anything in the MCU now because they put those story devices in place. And I think NetherRealm is done a real similar thing with Mortal Kombat. So it's exciting to see a brand new, fresh start but also wondering what familiar faces will come back. Will they be different? Um, Will they be the same? Will anyone stick around? Will anyone survive this little reboot and still be their former selves in the new timeline? I don't know. Um, Super, super exciting. There isn't a lot of information out yet about the gameplay and what they've changed for it. Um, But I think those games, I trust NetherRealm. I think, you know, as an American game company, one thing I think they've done is they've taken a very technological approach to their fighting games. I think we're one of the first companies it says, you know what, we're going to look at what other companies are doing, like Fortnite, um, Activision, when it comes to the Call of Duties. Watch what our players are doing and, you know, go that direction. Make the game, you know, work better for our players. I know realm has done a lot to make sure they had, like, you know, almost no latency in their fighting games. I'm um, figuring out what characters are, are used the most, uh, what features are not used. They get rid of those, they come up with new features. I feel like they're trying to make the perfect game, not just going off of their own opinion, but also with technology and what their, their fan base actually, is actually using. Um, I don't know if Tekken does that. I don't hope Street Fighter does it, because it looks like Street Fighter has a lot of, lot of new ideas. But again, I think NetherRealm does that. So I'm really excited about those games. I think if you guys have ever played fighting games, it is not a bad idea to sit down this year and I'd pre-order all these games. That's my, my mission this year. Um, and I have no other video game mission. It's just I'm always going to play Fortnite and make stuff in Fortnite creative. But I think this is the first time I say, you know what? I got to set aside time for a whole new genre um, to come back into my life. And that's that's the genre of fighting games. So I hope you guys check them out. If you want to play, let me know. I definitely will add you for all those games. I'm on PlayStation. I do know Street Fighter is cross-platform. I think Mortal Kombat is typically you know cross-platform. And I'm not sure about Tekken, but at this day and age, again... Hopefully everyone does it and um and we guys and we all can play. Movie of the week. We have not done a movie in the week in a few weeks on the podcast, mainly because I've been under the weather, and there hasn't really been that many movies I could think of that we like, you know, we had to talk about it. I know my voice is a little bit off still. Hopefully I'm 100 percent next week, but I wanted to bring back movie of the week and keep it going. Movie of the week is Ant-Man Quantumania. I'm shoving this down your guys' throats. I'm sick and tired of this Ant-Man hate and this bull crap. I watched Ant-Man on Disney+. Plus. I saw it in theaters, and I liked it. I left it at theaters thinking, good job, Marvel. Most of my family was not crazy about it, and I was a bit surprised. Um, they did like Thor, Love and Thunder, which I did not like. So, eh, you know, different strokes, different folks, right? No big deal. But then I got online seeing that generally a lot of people had issues with Ant-Man, that really had me questioning, what's, what's the big deal? I thought this was a pretty decent movie um, from the MCU. Kang's performance is obviously amazing. Everyone agrees on that. In um, Thor Love and Thunder, Christian Bell's performance was amazing. I think everyone agreed on that. So I thought, well, what's, what's wrong with Ant-Man? Especially when it to Love and Thunder, um, where some people like Love and Thunder, right? So Ant-Man himself and that, that cast, I watched it again on Disney+. Plus. And I think out of the Ant Man movies, it's just as good as the other Ant Man movies. They have jokes, they have comedy, um, but they never really had great villains, especially Ant Man Two. Um, no one remembers Ghost. No one remembers at all that story. So, to see the Ant Man Two is somehow more liked, and even even Ant Man One, which is pretty decent, um, is more like the Ant Man Quantum Mania. I'm sorry, you're wrong. It's just wrong. Everyone is wrong on this film, <laughs> and I usually don't take that kind of a stance. Um but you got to go back and watch it again. I really feel like it's a little bit maybe far out there because of all the quantum manium stuff. That's something I think that the film could have did without. They did not need to be in the quantum realm that long. Um also the film does feel like you can skip it because it has it kind of wraps itself up in a nice little bow. At least right now, it doesn't seem like anything that happens in the film matters. That doesn't mean that's the, that's the case. It might just mean that this is a a very slow story. That Marvel's doing over 10 years, and maybe this film will be more appreciated down the road, but right now it doesn't seem like anything that happened here, and which may be like an origin story for Kang. This might not be something that, at least at this time, doesn't feel like you really needed that, even though I think that he was fun and, and that was all great. Um, I went back and watched the last episode of Loki season one also. just used to see the scene where you basically meet the first version of Kang, um, he who remains, and just watch that sequence again. Now we've, we've seen Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Now we know what time var- or the variants are. We know we know what Kang the Conqueror is doing because he's in Ant Man. Let's let me go back and watch just that one episode, and it's a very good episode. Kang's performance is awesome, and I did I was able to understand more clearly than even before what they're talking about in that episode, um, and it's it's kind of horrifying um, when you really realize what he's talking about. He's joking. He's saying something's coming. It's going to be worse. Yada yada yada. Um, if you watch the whole Ant Man, there's an end credit scene that's really important. You really get to see what uh, Loki does not understand. He's unleashing when he, you know, when they decide to do what they do at the end of that show. If you haven't seen it, so I don't think you need to watch the whole Loki show. I think the Loki show does more to explain the idea of variance, where the multiverse and madness explains the multiverse. Um, you know, Loki sets up the idea that you can have other characters, um, you know, be other variations of themselves, right? Maybe in a different life, you would have went differently and you would have been a whole different kind of person. Well, what if you and the other person met each other, right? That kind of a thing. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, Kang and the performance he should have, I guess, in the next season of Loki. I know um, Kang is going to be a version of him there. I think overall, um, number one, it's going to be impressive to see all these different versions of Jonathan Major's characters and all the ones he plays. They look very, very good. And I think the story will make it be a, a really big deal. Um, and my prediction, this is not a spoiler, really. I don't, I don't want it to be a spoiler. I mean, it's just a long prediction. Is that, you know, unlike Thanos being arguably one of the greatest villains in the MCU, I think Kang is being set up to be one of the greatest villains and also one of the greatest heroes. And I think that's the big plot twist they have coming. I think there'll be a version of Kang, maybe even multiple versions of the Kang, um, that are going to be heroes, so I think it's worth it to go on Disney Plus, check it out again, uh, especially if you want to watch Ant Man one, two, and three. I definitely think Ant Man three has the most stakes, and it feels like the biggest film out of all of them. Um, so I don't know why, you know. Again, out of that, out of that trilogy, at least, um, you know, you compare it to other films, maybe maybe it's not the best film. But I, I'm I'm enjoying ant man. I think it's a good one. I think it holds up. You know, what kind of forever is obviously amazing. Probably the best film Marvel's done recently. So it's not it's not what kind of forever good, but for the Ant Man franchise, which is mainly a family friendly franchise, I think it's I think it's really good. Um, and then you have like you know if you watch it from from front to back, one, two, and three, you have the child growing up and being able to become a hero. And I think that's fun for kids, which again is what matters when you're watching a family friendly movie. So yeah, Ant-Man, I don't care. That's it. Quantumanium, movie of the week. Take it or leave it. So I feel like the reboot, the revival, is kind of on a, a downspin. I feel like almost we're seeing something generational where we've kind of run out of things to reboot. I mean, Fatal Attraction, the movie, has a TV show now. Um, I think American Gigolo, the movie has a TV show now. These are movies that were not meant to even have movie sequels. Um, How they're becoming TV shows, eh, some of them might work. Some of them don't work, but I kind of feel like we're really scraping the bottom of what, you know, IPs are still left that we haven't tried to reboot or do revival for. And I'm not one of those people that feel like, oh, it's a bad idea as a rule of thumb. No, if you have a new idea or something clever, Um, You could do something that's sometimes even better than the original, or maybe, you know, so, so good, it breathes a new life into the original. Um, That's Cobra Kai, obviously. I think Cobra Kai, hands down, um, is the king of reboots or revivals, I guess you would say, because it's not really a reboot. Cobra Kai is an amazing show. Can't wait for the next season, and I feel like, um, you know, it's, it's up there now in TV show history, or even in cinema history, it's entertainment where... You know, from a, a movie series that has a pretty decent, you know, story throughout. Um, some people maybe, may differ on maybe like the last one or so. Um, and then to have such a, a big run now on, on TV, I don't think there's many series that could claim that. You know, um, I'm not going to say it's better than some other shows, but to put it in the conversation, you know, even a show like Breaking Bad, which to me is the pinnacle of TV, um, Breaking Bad doesn't have any great movies, right? Again, I'm not saying that, you know, that, that puts Cobra Kai above Breaking Bad. I'm just saying Cobra Kai and the Karate Kid universe needs to come into the conversation when it comes to good stories, and just in media in general, right? Because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, the, the movies for Karate Kid add something a little extra. Most TV shows don't have good movies. And in their situation, they went from having pretty decent movies, um, maybe even great movies if you like Karate Kid 1 a lot, to having a, a really good TV show in a modern era. um, and this is across 40 years. I mean, this is ridiculous, right? So there's all these other circumstances, little asterisks that you got to put next to Karate Kid to say, hey, that's a pretty big achievement. Um, you know, all things considered. So I, I seen some other ones recently that, that have been pretty disappointing. I, we tried to watch um, Grease, the Grease reboot, which is called Pink Ladies. From the trailer, I was hoping it'd be okay. I thought, oh, this is interesting. You know, how did the Pink Ladies get formed, I guess? Really, it gives you an excuse to do another Grease property, right? Which is what? It's uh, singing, it's dancing. Hopefully some um catchy songs and some interesting characters. And, you know, look back at, you know, what high school may have been like back in the 50s or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Uh Saw the show, generally not interesting. Um... I I don't know what, what messed it with it. I don't know. Maybe it's hard to make catchy, you know, new music or whatever. Um I don't know. I, I definitely think it suffered a little bit from trying to be a modern TV show that, that talks about the 50s. Um I think Bridgerton does that well. You no, know, that's a show I think that's figured out ways to, you know, kind of um diversify and bring in, you know, new actors and new voices into a a medieval kind of story or a classic kind of Renaissance story. You don't see that a lot. Um, I don't think that um I don't feel like that the Pink ladies really was hitting that right. I know there's a storyline in there where like one character wants to be a T bird, but she's a girl. Or I think she's a girl. I'm not really sure what her identity is, so don't be mad at me if I get that wrong. Um, but she wants to be a T bird. Instead of a pink lady, I don't know if that she leads to the formation of the pink ladies or how that whole thing happens. Um, and, in the, and, it, and it seems like the characters on the T-Birds are cool with her being a T-Bird, but then they decide for her not to be a T-Bird. And my whole point is, I get this story, and this story is relevant to our day and age, but you're telling it in the 50s. And I feel like that story isn't relevant in the 50s. I don't feel like the T-Birds would have responded that way. They are, for all intents and purposes... Pretty much assholes. That's the whole reason why they're really bad at, you know, John Travolta's character for like trying to not be a sex fiend and trying to actually be a nice guy. That's one of the main core things about Greece is, you know, growing up, stop being immature, how to become like a an adult. And maybe, maybe if you watch the whole series of Pink Ladies, they tackle that same topic and figure it out. Maybe it's genius. No one's watching Pink Ladies, though. And that's, I think, uh, you know, a downside to it. But there's a lot of great revivals out there. One of them, which really surprised me, because I wasn't a big fan as a kid. One of them is Beavis the Butthead on Paramount Plus. Now, I know that sounds ridiculous. To go from Cobra Clyde being one of, I'm saying one of the best stories ever, maybe, um, uh, to Pink Ladies being uh, maybe a you know wrong demographic kind of kind of a, a show um to Beavis the Butthead being great. I know that sounds Ridiculous. And I was even worried about like how do I explain this on the podcast, right? But I'm sorry. It works. It's a really funny show. They updated it in just the right places. And overall, if you if you have any tolerance from the, those idiot characters, they are they are pretty funny. Um I used to watch the show sometimes as a kid. I wasn't like crazy about it, it whatever. If I had you know, I know people really, really loved it. I thought it had some jokes, haha, kind of funny sometimes. I mean I remember. My friend in first grade. Uh this has gotta be, you know, what almost 30, 32, 33 years ago. My friend in first grade used to quote Beavis and Butthead. That's how old that show is. But still in my teenage years, I feel like people still like Beavis and Butthead would we'll talk about it sometimes. So it's interesting to see, you know, that show come back and what can it do nowadays? Well, it does the same exact thing it used to do. It just makes fun of th- it just makes fun of things <laughs> that are funny. With their stupid outlook on life. Um, They do TikTok videos. They do still do some music videos. And they do it just enough. It's not a lot. They do it just enough. They get in, say the jokes to work. They get out and put the characters back in some kind of silly situation. And they're kind of characters out of time, like Bart Simpson. Um, The whole world hasn't moved on. They don't explain how they're still basically like 13-year-old guys or kids or whatever but um, yet TikTok has come along and stuff. It's ridiculous and it's funny and it just works. It's just a silly show to put on. And I'm extremely happy with it. Um, Mike Judge kills it. You know, it's it's like the the show is exactly a continuation of the other show. Um, the animation isn't that much better. It looks crisp, but it doesn't look like completely different. Um, yeah, really, really appreciate Beavis and Butthead. Apparently, um, another show I you know and they got renewed for second season, which is why I wanted to bring that up because I am looking forward to it. Another show that didn't really work out and didn't get renewed for some reason, but I thought was really good, extremely underrated, was The Revival for All That. All That was a kid's sketch comedy show. I don't think Saturday Night Live nowadays is that funny. I don't think there's many sketch comedy shows nowadays that are that funny, Um, especially ones that do like, they have like the weekly thing kind of going on and try to be current. All that, I had no, no, I thought there's no way that that would be funny in this day and age. And I was 100% wrong. Because they brought in new actors, and the old cast came back and did this beautiful like passing of the torch. They were really, really careful on how they introduced new characters, handed off some of the old characters to new actors, came in with new characters. It kind of speaks to this current generation. Um and, and the cast is just stellar. These young kids they brought were all just so funny. So I thought the new all oh, that was a great show. And come to find out, they're not renewing it which is really sad. I have to feel like it It also doesn't have its demographic, right? Where it's a kid's show made for people in their 30s because we're the only people that remember all that. If you're someone that's young, like my seven-year-old, loves the show, but why would you sit down and watch it unless your parents are like, hey, sit down and watch it. As we all know, parents suck nowadays. You guys all suck as parents, right? I'm the only good parent out here. I'm, jo- I'm joking. I'm joking. Kinda. I'm kinda joking. But you guys gotta step it up because you didn't make your kids watch all that, and they canceled it, and I'm kind of mad about it, so I'll take a few jabs at you, right? Um, but there's some other shows, that are good, good revivals, things that I have I heard are good, um, but I haven't seen them, and and there's some other ones that I think you know did not work. Um, Mystery Science Theater has a ridiculous 100% score on Rotten Tomatoes, and I refuse to believe that show is that good. I mean, they have that right behind Cobra Kai. Um, so I'm looking at a list that they published, 61 reboots and streaming you know, revivals, and I don't know who reviewed Mystery... There's no way Mystery Science Theater... The original Mystery Science Theater ain't that funny to put it up there, but I guess I have to go check it out because it has a practically perfect rating, um, and people must really like it. Samurai Jack Season 5. I was unaware there was a Samurai Jack season, uh, revival. I know my friend Pete loved Samurai Jack when we were younger. I saw it. I wasn't that into it as much as I'm into Samurais. Like, as much as I'm into Samurais, I I never really got into Samurai Jack. Um, I don't know if it was the art style or what it was that you know pulled me in. But that also has an extremely high rating. Um, Yeah, Voltron, The Defenders. This is 2017, so you've probably seen this by now. Psych, the movie. I tried to get into Psych, the TV show, so I could watch Psych, the movie. And I did like it. It just wasn't something I felt like I had to put on every week. It's more like a kind of a sitcom-y, I guess, kind of show. Um, I don't know what you call that. Like, I like Big Bang. and I like this kind of Will and Grace. I started watching Will and Grace recently. Um, Frasier. I like those kind of shows. But somehow, about Psych. Psych just feels like it was made um, that you don't have to watch it. I don't know what it is. Like, every episode is its own story, but you don't have to, like, know them all. It, I just didn't... I couldn't get into it, basically. Um, I'm surprised to see they remade shows like DuckTales. I did not know they remade DuckTales. I know they remade Rugrats. I think the Rugrats revival is pretty, good, pretty decent. Um, also, the other Rugrats, the older cartoon is so good. You don't really need a revival. I think there's way too many episodes. So while the new one is good, and I think it does justice, I just don't think you need more Rugrats. I don't know. It's just there's so many classic episodes already. How many times you got to sit down and watch it? Another show I did watch, which I didn't know that you would consider a revival, is I'm watching Queer Eye on Netflix. And that's a great show. That show has so much love and so much beautiful things, so much people being nice to each other. That that team, the Fab Five um, on that team, you know, when I was younger and, and Queer Eye for a Straight Guy came out, I didn't watch Queer Eye for a Straight Guy. Um, I, <laughs> even though it's called Queer Eye for a Straight Guy, I think at that time in my life, I didn't think the show was made for me. I didn't know what the show was about, I guess. Um, I know they did makeovers. I didn't watch makeover shows. But now I'm going back and watch some of the Queer Eye for Straight Guy episodes. I've seen Queer Eye in Japan. And then just regular Queer Eye on Netflix. I never knew the show was just about like pure love. It's just so much love and acceptance, and such a great message. This is also a reason why I really like all the RuPaul products they put out. RuPaul Drag Race. I'm seeing. I've seen RuPaul UK. I love RuPaul All Stars. Um, the show has a theme showing showcasing talented people doing amazing things. Even on Queer Eye, the Fab Five have all these unique skills. Each of them have a, something they bring. So the makeover process, but the overall theme of how they storytelling and, and, and really talk about acceptance and showing love and you know forgiveness for some people who need forgiveness or help people get their lives back together, it is so many human stories. It's way more than a makeover show. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all I can say about it. I can't rave about any of their products enough. Definitely, I'm going to throw the RuPaul thing in there. Even though RuPaul has been killing it for like 15 years and isn't on a revival or reboot, I'll mention it because um, it makes me think of queer eye. When I think of again how, when someone asks me because I'm a straight guy, obviously I'm a dad, I'm in my 30s. Some people are sometimes like, "Why are you watching those shows?" Um, at least my peers, right? And I'm like, "Hey, there's more TV should be like this. There's not really, um, you know, a lot of messages. I know Jonathan Van Ness said something really funny on one of the shows. Um, he's one of the characters or one of the um, one of the hosts of the Fab Five. He said something about straight guys." That was so hilarious. And he's like, Oh, I feel I feel bad for straight people. And it was so funny because the, the way he was explaining it was like there's certain things straight people can't do that you do see more, I guess, in the queer community or whatever, how you would how you would refer to it. Um and I was like, Yeah, yeah, I, I do feel like I do feel like um this isn't fair. I think the exact thing I was talking about was like kind of just how, you know, men in general aren't allowed to speak about their emotions or not able, not able to kind of just like, freak out in certain ways, um, you know. They, people kind of come down on them. I actually might not have been Jonathan Van Ness either. It might have been one of the other characters in the show talking about it. Anyway, check it out. It's a really great show. Um, you guys can figure it out for yourselves when you watch it. Um, I mean, I mean, there's a bunch of them here on this list. If you guys want to go check it out, I'm not going to go over every single one of them. I did love the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. That's an amazing show. Um, my wife got into that show and that was one of those things I wasn't really watching. And again, for a TV show, they do great at world building. I feel like that actually, I would put that up there like Marvel shows, like Marvel TV shows. They they made that world, you know, they really fleshed it out and have all these different rules and ideas. Um, Because of that world building, I think that would be like a great video game or something like that to play. But The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, really good. I've seen the old Sabrina TV show. I did watch that a bit as a kid. Um, and that's, again, kind of funny, kind of okay, but I feel like they took that material and made it really serious when they did Jatillion Adventures of Sabrina, um, and definitely something worth checking out if you haven't got the chance to check that out yet. Looking through this list real quick before we wrap up the podcast, anything else here I think worth mentioning on the podcast? Uh, Roseanne's kind of funny, because I thought the Roseanne revival was, was decent. I haven't watched much of the Connors, but, um... I liked Roseanne a lot as a kid. My mom liked it a lot as a kid. That was one of those shows you get to watch with your parents. There's a little bit more grown up than you probably should have been watching it, but there were kids on it and it was a good like bridge and Roseanne was a classic show in that sense and obviously she had all the stuff that happened with her in you know real life that got her taken off the show, um, which is its own whole ridiculous situation. But um, it's a shame because I do think it overshadows the fact that they did have an idea how to bring that show back and um. And, you know, make it good. Another one I wanted to watch. and never got around to watching, so was Lost in Space. Lost in Space, I thought, looked interesting. But I didn't get to see that. Um, I did like the Muppets revival. That was pretty good. So there's a lot of stuff on here. that If you guys ever seen it, it's definitely worth checking out. I'm gonna wrap up this list real fast. Is there anything else here worth mentioning to you guys by name? That might be everything. I had no idea they made a Mad TV revival. But this got some pretty bad ratings. So at this point, I think it's just showing you... Horrible. They did a revival for re- for heroes. That's horrible. Um, Fuller House was a great way to end this segment because Fuller House, man, like that first season was pretty decent, and it did everything I thought a reboot and revival would need. It, that 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 did have a great way to introduce you know um, new characters. I believe there's a, a, an actor on that show. I believe it might be transgender, um, or and they also you know updated with new issues. But it makes sense because they're, they're in 2023, so you get to see how DJ and, and Stephanie deal with you know growing up, becoming adults. It's how we were kids watching them now. We're adults, and we're in that situation. I thought it was such a great premise. It was cool that some of the older actors came back. It seemed like everything was going to go well. And I just feel like after the novelty of the first season happened, I didn't feel like I had to watch the second and third season. Definitely, those shows had an advantage on TV if you're waking up and going to school, there's like three or four shows on TV you can pick from. I used to think now at Fuller House and other shows like this, there's seemingly infinite amount of content you could watch. I mean, we even get a lot of content now that's great from overseas, being made from around the world that you can watch. There's podcasts, there's video games. I used to feel like there's so many other things to do besides watch Fuller House. So it's a shame that, you know, after that initial dose of nostalgia, it all kind of seem to go downhill. Maybe they just didn't have that many different ideas or the new cast or the younger kids weren't that engaging. Um, definitely there's no one on the show, obviously, that that you know keep everybody engaged like Michelle did when we were kids. It's a hard, it's a hard act to follow. Um I think whenever you have like an adorable kid and other sitcoms try to recreate the adorable kid, um it's hard to make sure, like how do you make sure you have a kid that America falls in love with, right? And yeah, I don't think Fuller House is able to pull it off again. But that's it for reboots and revivals. That's my little list going over some of the different things that I could think of, things I've watched. If you guys have anything that I missed, that you really loved, let me know. Hit me up on our Discord, slide into my DMs, let me know what's going on, right? I'm Samuel Rye. I hope you guys had a great time this week. Peace. Song of the Week. Song of the Week is going to be very different than we normally pick. I usually pick hip-hop stuff and maybe some rock and roll stuff. We're going to go something a little more updated, 2020's um, Heat Wave by Glass Animals. Heat Waves by Glass Animals, you may know this song. It's kind of a poppy song. Um, But the reason I'm picking it as as song of the week is because I was leaving the gym the other day and I had a very funny situation where I turned to my teenager. I said, hey, man, my young adult, right? I said, hey, um, what's a good, you know, trending R&B song, something to relax us after the gym? And he doesn't really listen to R&B. So he's kind of like, yeah, I don't know. And then my seven-year-old out the back of my my car goes, uh, Heat Waves by Glass Animals. I'm like, what? Like, what, what are you talking about? Like, you have very limited access to the world, right? Like, how do you know what a new trending song is, a new hot song is on the radio or whatever? And it's funny because she's in second grade and they're already at that age where there's a lot more information being exchanged than in first grade when these kids are going to school, especially now that they're basically... Aging up and she's about to get into the summertime she's going into third grade she's about eight years old almost um, you know seven and a half at this point point. and it was so crazy to see my seven year- old you know belt out a song and not only did she heard the song and knew the name of it, but when I put it on, she was singing the song and I live with her every single day in my house. I see her every day. I've never heard this song. I've never seen her practicing this song, but somehow in school she's been exposed to this song enough that she has a whole other life I don't know about involving this one song. It was the funniest thing to see. And it's a good song. It's a very good song. I, I had it on in the background. I enjoyed it. It did fit in a nice little relaxing kind of vibe. Some weather's coming here. I had the windows down, driving from the gym. And it was just, it, it fit perfectly. So I think Heat Waves by Glass Animals is definitely a song to check out right now since the seasons are changing and we're hopefully getting into, you know, Spring part two or the actual summer. I have no idea what the weather's going to be like from day to day still. But I think we're going in that direction. That's my song from the week. That's the reason why I chose it. I hope you guys enjoy it. <laughs> Ugh, go ahead. Sit down. Take a load off. Relax, yeah, you made it to the after show The podcast is over The after show with where we I get to just let my hair down and be Samurai Just relax and talk to you guys a little bit about me A little bit less entertainment and all things going on If you're interested and you care Thanks for hanging out to the after show, right? What's going on this week? Memorial Day is coming up I think by the time you guys hear this It'll be Thursday before Memorial Day weekend So efficiently Summertime is coming, Uh, and I am extremely looking forward to summer. I am definitely overwinter. You know, we've had a weird... You know, on the East Coast, we've had a weird, like, two months where it would be really hot one day, very cold another day. I don't know what that season was called, but I don't feel like we really had spring yet. I feel like maybe now spring's about to start, really. But, um, yeah, we've had a really weird spring. So maybe we'll just skip spring and go right into summer. But I don't know. Uh, Recently... I'm able to get into swimming a whole lot, which uh, if you guys haven't got to swim in a long time, I feel like especially around here, again, you know, where we live, uh, we're not like on the shore. So, you know, I don't have a lot of friends that are like all about swimming. But I definitely envy people who get a chance to just grow up in a place where they have a pool or they swim all the time because it's kind of a whole other way humans can interact with the world, right? Like we can't fly. We can't, I don't know, jump like a grasshopper. But we can swim for some reason, right? Like, there should be... Our bodies don't look like they're made for swimming. We're not fishes. We will drown, right? But, um, but we we're, we're, you know, we we can swim. It's a whole thing that we can do. And, yeah, living in a city and stuff, there's not a lot of places you can go swim that aren't completely disgusting, at least. It's hard to find a clean pool if you can find a pool. And, um, yeah, finally got a chance to get back into swimming. My daughter recently, uh, we were able to put her in a swimming class. Which is like the most bougiest, coolest thing we've ever been able to do in my life, right? I'm from the city. I grew up in a rough neighborhood. Um, we didn't have a lot of cool things like that. And obviously, working hard, never giving up, a lot of stuff we talk about here on the podcast and stuff like that. Um, you know, or after a lot of trying, being able to get to a point where, you know, I'm in an okay neighborhood and um, my daughter is able to go to swimming school. And I don't look at it as like, ooh, look at me. But then I tell people about it sometimes, and they're like, "Oh, well, look, look at you." And I'm like, "Ah, well, you know, I guess I'll take it. I'll take the little pat on my back or whatever." Um, I, I'm never good with those kind of things. I always feel poor. I don't know. I, I don't want to be that way. But like, it, it's it's always a weird situation when you're doing something and you're just trying to do something you think is better, and then you know some people think it's nothing. They're like, "Oh yeah, like get yeah, my kids swimming classes too," and then some people like freak out, like, "Oh my God, you're in swimming classes now? Like, what are you like rich?" I'm like, uh, no, I don't. I don't really know where I'm supposed to be in that situation or how I'm supposed to react to it. So that's always a, a weird thing. But I definitely did, you know, have some pride in her being able to go and learn from an instructor. Because when I was learning how to swim, um, you know, my parents like just threw me in the water, yelled at me, and like, you know, yeah, like figure it out basically, and try this, and you're, you know, why aren't you doing this? Um, and that's how real men are made. Is it that's that's fine by me, but. I, it's a cool thing to you know see all these different things. Even I'm learning things watching her little nuances and stuff that you know when you're in there with a real instructor. Um, and my wife was a lifeguard, so even through our whole relationship, like ten years, we've never really gone swimming. We uh, went to the beach and like we like those kind of people who go to the beach and they like we'll like splash around a little bit or sit down. I definitely think ocean swimming seems a lot different. Um, even myself, I don't know if I'm going to go swim in the ocean. Like I. That seems kind of weird to me, right? Like, I, I can I definitely swim if I had to. but I feel like that's the kind of swimming you do in the ocean. Like, you don't just swim in the ocean for fun. You swim in the ocean because you may, you, you went out too far and you think you might die. And you need to start using that last bit of energy to swim back to the shore. Because um, salt water sucks, too. That's a whole podcast topic there. Why is salt water so horrible and cruel to humans, right? I, I don't think man can do a lot better than our creator or whoever it is that you acknowledge. But I think we did better with chlorine and, and, and pool water. I think, you know, that's... Lake water is pretty good, except for some reason, I guess because there's no salt, I feel like lakes can also have, like, amoebas and little bacteria that can somehow kill you um, if you're in the wrong lake at the wrong time. So salt water, I don't feel like that's going to happen. I feel like that that salt water can actually cure you and, like, heal your wounds. But, um, yeah, I mean pool water, chlorine... I definitely think it's the best of both worlds. And um, I think I think that's one mankind, you know, um, one up on, um, you know, I don't know. I guess we need fish too. So I guess I can't really criticize salt water too much. But yeah, I love chlorine water. Yeah, but swimming, <laughs> such a weird, such a weird tangent to go on and rant on salt water. But yeah, swimming is great, man. If you guys haven't had a chance to, um, definitely something worth trying. You know, if you guys are in the neighborhood, anybody, anybody I know, Want to hook up and see if we can go out swimming or something like that. Um, I have a good... how I'm doing it. I'm going to like LA Fitness, and one thing's cool about that is they have like a a guest pass. You can bring like somebody with you, which I think is awesome for every gym. So like anyone I know technically can go swimming now because they can come with me at one point, you know. Um, and they just kind of get back into the the whole thing and and you know seeing what that's like. I'm, I'm a pretty good swimmer. I didn't realize this. So I didn't think I still would be a pretty good swimmer. Um, and I really enjoy it. It's really really fun. Hopefully it becomes something I get to do a lot. My kids. I'm looking forward to Memorial Day. I have a pool now where I live, so when that thing opens up, everybody can go down there and try that out. That's what I got going on. Uh besides that creatively, I am on the cusp of doing a music video and it's you know, we'll we'll see. We'll see how this is going to go because again, I'm also venturing back into something else I haven't done in a very long time. So there's a lot of like confidence and mental things. I'm like, "Yeah, I can do this." And then it's kind of like, "Yeah, but like everything is things are different." But it's funny because the first time I had done it, I had no experience. It was exactly that. It was just me having a confidence that I thought I could do it in my head. Grabbed a camera and had pretty decent results. Over the years, I've learned a whole lot about film, um, but I haven't got to practice it. I haven't got to put it into actual practice. So it's exciting to think that I'm gonna go out there and get that practice again. Um, but also it's a bit intimidating because I think there's a bit of a higher expectation um, on my, me, being that I've talked about this stuff for forever, and that I do now have experience. But I do feel like it's the first time again. It's um it's a very weird, you know, place to be in. Um so hopefully that'll be done by the end of June. And um, I do have my Fortnite maps. My account was approved. And I'm just working now on, I guess actually my first you know, venture back in the video will be editing the trailer for my Fortnite map, which I didn't really think about when I first started getting into it. Um I know they said like, oh, you'll make a trailer, and I kind of thought it was optional, but it's kind of required. So, yeah, now I'm like, okay, well, what's my trailer going to be like for my map? I made this map. It's kind of like a a nod to like assassin movies and secret society kind of thing um, where basically you're going into this nightclub and it's like an exercise where you have to train against another assassin. You guys are competing against each other head to head, like head to head. And um, it's the first person to get 30 points shooting down these different targets that pop up, making sure you don't hit the wrong targets because you'll lose points if you hit the wrong targets. Yeah, I thought of it like basketball like something about like, you know, having a one-on-one game with somebody that you don't really experience that in Fortnite or in a shooting game. But the cool thing about these targets are, it's not like I have 30 targets, you have 30 targets. Let's see if you can hit the best targets. That's, that's target practice. In this situation, it's no. We're not chained or standing at one place. We're walking through this nightclub. Who's going to see these targets first and hit them? And we can hit the same target. So if I hit my target and it goes down... Your target is now down. You can't hit that, right? So there's only but so many targets in here for us to even try to get to 30 or see who gets the most points if you don't get to 30. Here's 30 seconds in the, in the, in the level. And then you do best two out of three. So it's very fun. You get in, you get out. Very quick game. I think it's different than the other games that are out there. So hopefully you guys will get a kick out of that if you guys want to check it out when I get that done. But that's everything I got for you this week. Thank you so much for rocking with me, guys. I hope you guys are still enjoying the podcast. Awesome, I'm Samurai. Peace.